0: Good morning. good morning good morning my name is daniel i'm actually one of the pastors here and if you are new with us today we're in a message series called no cap pre-decide better choices a better life and just a quick review for all of our new people today and by the way if you're new here today we are so so glad that you're here we are are we yeah. we are really yes Yes, yes, yes. And, and I don't usually give this disclaimer up front, but in 14 years as a church, when it comes to messages on money, generosity, debt, or giving, we've only tackled and talked about it about 14 times. Okay, over 14 years. We did check the statistics. So once a year, once a year is how often we've done it. Today will be my first, but the 15th time in church history so don't leave yet okay uh, besides you guys were all given money on your way in welcome to reveal <laughs> where we pay you to come to church okay back to the review over the last few weeks we've said that we're making six predetermined decisions about who we're gonna be as followers of Christ I haven't arrived personally in any of these six areas but each I've pre and I'm pre-deciding in the future to get better. I've pre-decided that by the time we're done with this series, I will be at a healthier and more committed me. And I hope that you'll be at a healthier and more committed you. I'm going to read each of the first three statements that we've covered so far again. And uh, for many of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights as well, great job. Great job, and if you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights and you want to show up on Wednesday nights, you are more than welcome to pull up. I believe God wants to encourage many of us this morning, so if you are getting better in these areas, not arrived, but if you're being more intentional in these three areas that we've covered so far, please respond to the statement with no cap, okay? No cap, for those of you who are new, just means that's true, it's the truth. Okay, so respond at the proper time. Now, when the devil attacks, so week one, when the devil attacks, I'm becoming more prepared. I'm more on guard. I'm watching more. I'm praying more. I am more ready. There you go. Secondly, when it's easy to be inconsistent on one day and off another day, With the help of God and by the grace of God, my consistency has gotten better. I am actually more consistent. Good. Some of you. Um, Last week, in a world where people often stray from God and and lose their passion, I am intentionally spending more time with him. I'm being more devoted to God. I'm actually more devoted. Good. 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 Seriously, that is is great. That is great news, unless you were capping. Now, I love it. So if you missed any of the messages, I'd encourage you to go back and re-watch them. Um, We've talked about the power of our decisions. We've said repeatedly that the quality of your decisions determines the quality of your life. Let me ask you, how have your decisions been lately? What decisions have you made that maybe you are proud of? Because those are affecting your life in a positive direction. But on the flip side of that, what decisions have you made recently that you're not so proud of? Because those two have affected the quality of your life, but unfortunately in a negative way. So if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we're making some pre-decisions. Instead of waiting until we're in the heat of the moment and letting our emotions drive us, we've instead said we're seeking God early. We're seeking God ahead of time. And we're pre-deciding that when we're faced with a particular scenario, especially one that we know we need to grow in, we've already thought about it, we've already prayed about it, and we've decided ahead of time when faced with this, like this, and whatever your this is, you know what it is. We are pre-deciding to take a very specific action. See. We've said repeatedly that the problem is, is most of us, we're not very good at decision-making. We're not, especially when our emotions are high. Now, outside of relationships, I believe there is nothing that messes with our emotions more, nothing that can cause us to get instantly offended, defensive, upset, or go into into that fight-or-flight mode at the sound of my voice than when somebody talks about your money. Speaking of money, did anybody not get a bill on the way in? Everybody got one? Good, good. You guys can take those buckets, guard those buckets, and be seated. Um, Scientifically speaking, your amygdala activates this fight-or-flight response without any initiative from you. It just goes on what I call amygdala autopilot. Because when when your amygdala senses danger, it signals your brain to pump stress hormones, preparing your body to either throw down or to flee for safety. Okay? Hold on. Don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. Before you get up and leave or or approach the stage to to throw a punch, and please don't don't throw a punch, I want to give your brain a quick amygdala antidote. So pause. Something that you will something that will actually help to calm your adrenaline and help you to take a deep breath. Our antidote is just it's just a small dose, a small dose, but it's powerful if you'll embrace it this morning. Catch this. Psalm 56, 3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And, and, and when I feel fear, I will choose to trust you, Lord. Now, hear me up. I do come in peace today. I come in peace, and, and I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. When I found out that I, was, uh, that I had this week's teaching, I, I was definitely excited for all of you guys. I was. I was. Now, you may say, You're excited about being a pastor on stage and talking about money? Yes. Yes, I am. I am excited when it comes to God's principles. So many times the enemy gets us chasing fruit, but God focuses on the root. And the fruit takes care of itself. Because what I'm going to share with you guys today will set up the biblical boundaries necessary to experience one of the most freeing and liberating messages that I've ever shared, no cab, And we're basically heading straight for the root. We're going straight for the root. A painful yet freeing spiritual root canal today, if you want to call it that. A truth won't set you free because we established in week 1 of the series that a truth is cap. But Jesus, the king of the truth, says in John 8:32 that I'm sorry, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. No cap. And I love how John 8, 31 and 32 says it in the message version. It actually ties our entire series together so far. John 8, 31 and 32 says this. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. Question, by a show of hands, how many of Jew believe in Jesus today? That was my dad joke. All right. All right. Here's what Jesus says to all of us that raised our hands. Here's his premise, or the if. If you stick with this, are we sticking with this? Are you ready? I am ready. Goes on to say, living out what I tell you. Are we willing to live out what he tells us? Are you consistent? I am consistent you are my disciples for sure are we his disciples for sure i am devoted i am devoted that was the premise or the if now here's the promise or the then then you will experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will set you Free. Unfortunately, I've said this before, that what usually happens is that the truth will set you free eventually. But first, it usually beats you up and makes you really upset. The truth is like a, pers- is like a personal trainer or a coach who-, who knows in order to get you to glory, you got to go through the gritty. Amen? Amen. The wrestling that will take place today has the potential to change generations because it's talking about one of the most powerful idols we wrestle with, one of the most enslaving or empowering entities in the world today. Many of you felt the pull when you walked in and saw buckets full of money. It's money. It's the resource that buys things, possessions, and temporary happiness. And that leads us right into the title of my message today up front. The journey to generosity, from the root to the fruit. Israel touched on some of what the early church looked like last week. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. Um, He touched on what the early church looked like in regard to devotion. And Acts uh, Acts 2, 41 to 42, it said, So then those who accepted his message were baptized. And on that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together and to prayers. I want to build on that this week, seeing what generosity in the first-century church looked like. So we saw what they were doing. But let's see how. Let's see what generosity looked like. I love this. Acts two forty-three to forty-seven. It says, "Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders." And signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony. Wow. Wonderful harmony. Holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. Goes on to say they, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple followed by meals at home. They liked to eat. Every meal of celebration, here it is, exuberant and joyful as they praise God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were being saved. It wasn't, it wasn't just an event or something that they did. Generosity is who they were. We read again a couple of chapters later in Acts four thirty-two to 37, just to prove this is who they were. It says, The whole congregation of believers was united as one heart and one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine. You can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master Jesus, and grace was on them all. Generosity. Grace was on them. Them all, and it goes on to say, and so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the uh, brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed it according to each person's need. Joseph called by the Joseph called by the uh, apostles Barnabas, which means son of comfort. He was a Levite born in Cyprus. Sold the field that he owned, brought the money. And made an offering of it to the apostles. Not so the apostles could keep it, because he trusted the apostles to distribute it. When I just think of the imagery of the early church, that's a beautiful picture. Amen? It's a beautiful picture. It's one that so many times we read about, but it wasn't a fairy tale. I, I believe it is something that God wants to see more of in our church today. But their possessions, here's the big thing, bottom line, they all had possessions, just like we do today. But their possessions didn't have them. For the most part, for the most part, and we'll continue in Acts 5 in just a minute, but before we can ever honor God in our generosity, we first have to honor God in our giving. I'll say it again. Before we can ever honor God in our generosity, we first have to honor God in our giving. What does that mean, and why is this so important? Why is it important to lay a foundation of God honoring giving Before God honoring generosity. Because God honoring generosity without God honoring giving is just not possible. Biblical generosity or the offering without biblical giving, the tithe, is just not God's best for his children. Because there's an order. There's a standard. Let's unpack it. I believe it's the most misunderstood Misused, misappropriated, miscommunicated, misresponded to reality in the Christian life. Jesus said over and over and over again, as he taught, uh, as he taught during his uh, earthly ministry, that money was the single biggest indicator of your spiritual condition. 11 times, 11 parables out of 40 parables had to do with money, and therefore, it is directly related to our series, and that is spiritual growth through predeciding in advance what our game plan will be when it comes to money and the process of becoming and experiencing the fullness of God's principle of generosity. What is this tithing? What is this whole thing? Why is it such a delicate area? This whole topic about money, why is it such a misused area? A biblical understanding of money in general, and giving in particular, is simply that your spiritual growth always shows up in your checkbook or your online statement. To put it another way, money is God's, money is God's economy. It's an indicator light of something else deeper. When a light on your dashboard comes on in your car, it means something else needs to be checked out. When your light comes on in the car, that, that is something you, that you can see. It's something you can grasp. It's something that you can touch. But it's, not to, it, but it's not to draw attention to the light specifically. It's to draw attention to something going on that's underneath the hood. Jesus says to pull out your wallet or your purse or your checkbook is merely an indicator light of the spiritual condition of a heart. It's connected. Statistics show the average Christian gives about 2.5% of their income to the kingdom. Today, I believe we suffer from a disease that we might call cirrhosis of the giver. Okay, This is a malady or an ailment discovered in 34 AD by a husband and wife team named Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody know the story? Anyone know the story? Okay. Well, let me set it up. In Acts chapter 5, immediately after reading the sections we read earlier, the beautiful harmony, the hashtag goal, or the beautiful imagery of generosity in the first century church that we read about, and the example of Barnabas, the son of comfort himself, and sound his land, it's good. This happens. And if you think the Bible is boring, this is like the biblical version of an episode of The Sopranos. Warning, you better buckle up, buttercup. Acts 5, 1 to 11, let's go. But a man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, conniving in this with him, sold a piece of land. He, they secretly kept part of the price for himself and then brought the rest to the apostles and made an offering of it. Peter said, Ananias, how did, how did Satan get you to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back part of the price of the field. Before you sold it, it was all yours. And after you sold it, the money was yours to do with as you wish. And here he goes with his mob voice. So what got into you to pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to men, but you lied to God. Ananias When he heard those words, fell down on his knees. No, he fell down dead. That put the fear of God into everyone who heard of it. The younger men, the young adults in the church, went right to work and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Not more than three hours later, his wife, knowing nothing of what had happened, came in. Peter said, tell me. Were you given this price for your fields? Yes, yes, she said, that, that price, that price. Peter responded, what's going on here? That you connived to conspire against the spirit of the master. The men who buried your husband are at the door and you're next. No sooner were the words out of his mouth then she also fell down dead. When the young men returned, they found her body. They carried her and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of these things had a healthy respect for God. Godfather. Uh, They knew God was not Be trifled with. I love the way the message version tells that story. Hear me on this. Anytime there is giving, there's always the opportunity for greed. Church embezzlement. This is nothing new, but hear me on this. And I felt led that I needed to say this just as a quick side note embezzlement is God's job to judge. He will handle them. And after reading Acts chapter 5, my heart is not seeking revenge, but rather compassion. May God have mercy on their souls for real for real embezzlement is not an excuse to embezzle in other words because you heard someone stealing money from God's house doesn't give us an excuse to steal from God we'll talk about that more in a minute my God is uh, my my job is to get it to the storehouse once I get it to the storehouse you know that that's between God and in the, the storehouse My job is to get it there. Let's keep unpacking. Back to the malady. Cirrhosis of the giver. Today, it is an acute condition that renders the patient's hand immobile when it comes time to move toward the wallet or the purse en route to the offering buckets or online giving options, which is what most people prefer to do today is the online options. It's a strange symptom that somehow doesn't seem to show up at the golf course. At the supermarket, the clothing store, Dutch Bros, Chipotle, Starbucks, Amazon Prime, or any exclusive restaurants that we go out to. But when the Bible speaks about the delicate subject, it is delicate. It does so without batting an eye or blinking. Because when the Bible speaks of it, it's related to our spiritual life. In fact, when Paul was writing to the Philippians and he writes that great verse that everybody loves, we love to quote it. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen, Amen. we've said it before. But two verses earlier, not as popular, but bring such a clear perspective. Paul says, not that I seek the gift itself. Hear me on this. But I do seek the profit which increases to your heavenly account. The blessings which is accumulating for you, the blessing which is accumulating for you. In other words, he says, now the reason I'm talking to you about this is not for the money. He says, I'm talking to you about the money, but it's not for the money. He says, the reason I'm talking to you about this, hear me on this, is because I want you to fully get what God wants to give you. And I'm saying that, that exact same thing to you guys today. If you don't hear anything, I say, anything else I say here this morning, the reason I'm talking to you about this is not because God needs your money. It's because I want you to fully get what God wants to give to you. And he can't give us all that he wants to give us if he can't trust us. And if and he can't trust us, if we can't trust him, more than we trust in our money. He says there is another dimension beyond what you're reading on the dollar bill. Hear me on this. Your capacity to experience God's grace is directly tied to your willingness to give. Your capacity to experience God's grace is directly tied to your willingness to honor God in giving. Here's your mandatory I am devoted homework for this week. 2 Corinthians 8. And nine. 2 Corinthians eight and nine. Both chapters. Read them. Second Corinthians chapter eight and nine. It's so good. It's so good. In chapters eight and nine of 2 Corinthians, Paul really goes into a local church and he helps it to understand the correlation between giving grace and spiritual growth. He brings up this concept, the connectedness beginning in chapter 8. Let me give you a sample of both chapters. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. It's so powerful. He says, now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the church of Macedonia. He's given them grace. That during a severe ordeal of suffering, so they were suffering, their abundant joy, abundant joy in suffering, and their extreme poverty had overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. For I testify, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They did it voluntarily. Listen, begging us. Begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and the fellowship of helping the saints. And they did this not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. No cap. Now, please notice what it says. In referring to the church of Macedonia, he says, let me tell you about these folks. Okay, these folks begged for the offering time. Now, when was the last time that you and I begged for the offering time? When is the last time that you said, the offering's taking too, too long? Where's it at? When is the last time you said, oh, God, please let them get through the preaching, let them get through the sermon so I can get to the offering? I can't wait to give. This is what they were doing. He says that the way those churches did it was an example, was a standard. And He says the reason they were like that is because something spiritual was going on in them, and it says that it was in verse in verse 5, he says, the first they first gave themselves to the Lord. So their giving was just the fruit of, of, of their surrender. In other words, he says, because they were spiritually on target, they were financially on target. At the core of the issue of giving is that it expresses what you feel about God. If you want to know what a man or woman feels about God, Jesus would say, the word would say, don't first just listen to their word. It would say two things. Look at their life and look at their bank account because you'll know what they feel about me there. Verse 6 of chapter 9 is an illustration that it's so clear, yet so many people actually miss it. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says this, My point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now that's the point, isn't it? Isn't it? He uses an analogy here of farming. He says, if you want to understand how this works, all you got to do is be a farmer or know a little about farming. And the principle is sowing and reaping. It's simple, yet foundational. There's a couple of things I want you to know from the verse I'm um, from this verse and from the section about sowing and reaping. Number one is this your harvest depends on whether you sow. There is, no, there is no farmer who can expect a harvest who's not willing to sow a seed. I don't care how much the farmer prays, I don't care. Um, he can fast, he can pray, he can go to church, he can get the leaders of the church to pray. If the farmer is unwilling to sow a seed, It won't get anything done. There won't be anything that grows on the field. Let me tell you what a farmer also doesn't do. He doesn't eat the seed. He doesn't eat the seed. See, a farmer could say, look, stuff might not grow next year, and if it doesn't grow, I won't eat. So rather than take the risk of planting the seed, let me eat it. Let me take this seed and spend it all on me because I might not get anything if I get rid of it and plant it. You would call that farmer a fool, right? Right, just a farmer, not you, but a farmer. God calls anybody a fool who thinks that to give to him is to lose. That's heavy. In fact, farmers have to sow seed when they're least able to do it. In fact, the worst things get For the farmer, the more important it is for him to get some seeds in the ground. Amen? Because he knows he needs multiplication, not minor addition. Things are so bad that I got to get as many seeds out there as possible. Because I need what farmers call a bumper harvest. A bumper harvest. In In agriculture, that means an unusually productive harvest. A bumper harvest. It is a foolish farmer who says, things are so bad that I don't sow seed. You see, we start with it this way. We start with the need. God, I need this. God, I need a house. I need a car. I need this. I need that. I need, I need, I need, I need. And as legitimate as that is, a wise farmer who is serious about need is serious about seed. A farmer is not serious about who is not serious about need, is not serious about seed. And so he wants you to know that your harvest depends on whether you sow. If there is no sowing, there is no reaping. If there is, no, 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 if there is sparing sowing, there is sparing, reaping. If there is generous sowing, there is generous reaping. Now the second thing you need to know, as we move to the spiritual connection here. And we're going to get there. He says, your harvest also depends on what you sow. See, your harvest depends on whether you sow, but it also depends on what you sow. When you read in the book of Genesis, it says that every fruit or vegetable brought forth after its own kind. In other words, uh, what you planted was what you got back. You don't plant apples and get tomatoes. You don't plant watermelons and get pears. Everything has to be after its kind. It is in sync with what you planted. What God wants you to know is, is if you plant the wrong seeds, you're going to get the wrong results. If you plant the right seeds, you're going to get the right results. Luke 6, verse 38. Everybody loves this passage. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour uh, sorry, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and return. The first line in this verse is the key: give, and it. It what? It that you gave. Then if you so, then if you want to be loved, you got to sow a love seed. If you want to grow. You got to sow a growth seed. If you want something back from God, plant the thing that you want back because it depends on what you sow. If you sow seeds, I'm sorry, if you sow weeds, don't expect flowers. In fact, it's, it's, uh, he says in Galatians 6, if you sow to the flesh, then that's what you're going to get back. You're going to get back fleshliness. You can't sow flesh seeds all week long and then expect spiritual growth crop on Sunday. If you sow negative thoughts about our, sp- about our spouses, we can't expect a healthy marriage. It is what you sow. So your harvest depends on whether you sow. Your harvest depends on what you sow. And then your harvest depends on how you sow. Sparingly or generously. And nothing proves your faith more than giving. That's the truth. Nothing proves your faith more than giving. Hear me loud and clear on this. Because when a farmer has to sow, he takes seed and he has to put it in the ground. And from that point on, he's got to bank on God. He's got to bank on God. It It is all out of his hands once he puts it into the ground. The sun has to shine, the rain has to fall, and if there's not enough sunshine, and if there's not enough rain, then planting is a waste of time. So while a farmer must plant a seed, he must trust the God of heaven. Heaven has got to work for him, because if heaven doesn't work for him, seed is a waste of time. Why do farmers plant seed? Because they have an expectation that there will be enough rain and that there will be enough sunlight. Because from a human standpoint, they'll say, nature is consistent. They trust that it's going to happen. While sinful, sinful farmers actually believe more about nature than most Christians believe about God. The author of nature. The Bible is clear on what should be sown by the believer. They're called in two categories. In Scripture, tithes and offerings. Those are the two categories. The word tithe means tenth or tenth percent, or ten percent. Many of you know that. It was understood that a person who was serious about God would exercise faith by giving God the first fruits. Giving God the first fruits. First fruits meant that the first ten percent of anything that God, or anything that they had, it was, devote, it was a devoted expression of faith. One, the amount was 10, and two, when they gave it, it was always first. The Bible says in Genesis 4, 2, and 5, it says, here it is on the screen, it says, and later she gave birth to his brother Abel. This is one of those younger brother, bigger brother things. Um, now Abel, the younger brother, kept the flocks of sheep and goats, but Cain cultivated the ground. Okay, so two different jobs. And the course of the time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So he brought an offering, but Abel brought an offering, hear this, the finest firstborn of his flocks and the fat portions, the good portions. And the Lord had respect and regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no respect. In other words, Abel trusted God. But Cain tipped God. So God honored Abel's offering, but didn't honor Cain's offering. And when you read the story, you find out what it says of Abel's offering. He gave the firstlings of the flock, the finest fatty firstborn. In other words, he put God first. He put God first. In Malachi 1, God complains that his people brought him the leftover lambs. And God says, unacceptable. It's, I'm not saying it. God's word says unacceptable. Look at Malachi 3, because, it, because it's absolutely significant to the spiritual issue at stake. Malachi 3, verse 8 says, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, In what way have we robbed you, God? He said, In the tithes and offerings you have withheld. Will a man or woman rob God? To rob God in tithe was not to give him the first 10% of what God gave to them. That, That was to rob him in the tithe. To rob God in the offering was to not consider him worthy of more than the 10%. The tithe was what God demanded and expected. The offering was what you volunteered because you just loved him. You did not give the offering until you completed the tithe. A lot of times people say, well, here's my offering. Well, it's not your offering unless it's over the 10%. If it's under the 10%, you're still working on the tithe. That's not your offering. The offering could only be an offering when it met that which was above the expected. But he goes on and he says, you robbed me. And what was the spiritual spiritual implication of the robbery? What happened because they robbed him? Malachi 3 verse 9 says this. It says, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, this whole nation. We would say the whole congregation of you, put it another way, if God says, "If if you rob me, I'm going to rob you. Why? Because robbing God has spiritual implications. It has spiritual implications. It is a value issue. That's why. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, hear this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops or your income. Honor the Lord with your giving. It has to do with whether God feels honored. No one robs God. Hear me on this, without robbing themselves. To not give God what God deserves is to remove yourself from the place of blessing. He says you are cursed with the curse. And some of us here today are sitting here with stolen clothes on, stolen jerseys of our favorite teams, because we, need, we use God's money to buy it. Some of you are driving stolen cars because... We're using God's money to pay for them. Some of you are living in stolen homes because we've stolen from God to live there. Some of us may be eating stolen food because we've robbed God for it. There's nothing wrong with any of those things unless they're stolen. And whenever you take what belongs to God to use for you, you've robbed God. And he says, and now you're under a curse. They're not my words, they're his. See, it's bad to be cursed, but it's worse to be cursed and not know that you're cursed at all. You, you think it's, we can pay these bills. No, we can't pay these bills. No, we're cursed. Every time we fix one thing, something else breaks down because we're cursed. Every time we get a raise, it's eaten up before we even have a chance to enjoy it because we're cursed. The opposite To curse is blessing. And he says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He goes on to say in verse 10, bring all the tithes, the tenth, into the storehouse. And in um, in ancient times, special storehouses were established in the temple to receive the tithes of the harvest. If the people were not faithful, the priests could not continue to serve and perform their duties. And here's the crazy thing. And this is crazy. And this isn't for our guests or the curious. You know, you can plug your ears for a minute. But the church is one of the only places in culture today where so many people expect to get everything and have it cost them nothing. They expect the air to be cool, the lights to be just right, the bathrooms to be clean, their kids to be entertained and taught, financial assistance that that they need if they need it, and they think it's going to happen for free. They want it all with zero skin in the game. And if we don't do it right, They slander our church, a church, and then head down to the street to the next one. That's the weight of ministry. Malachi 3 goes on to say, So that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord. Sorry about my earpiece today. He says, bring the whole tithe. Stop stealing from me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the church, so that there may be food in my house, so that the house will have the resources to keep the kingdom moving forward. Souls eternally changed, ordinary people becoming extraordinary followers of Christ. This is our why. And he says, test me now only place God says, test me, because I know you're scared to death. I know you're scared to death. Yes, I know you're terrified. I know some of your guys' your knees are knocking right there where you're sitting. Your amygdala has you want to run out to the exits. Please understand. He said, but test me now, because it's going to take faith to redo your budget. It's going to take faith to move me from the, move me from the bottom to the top. It's going to take faith to move from 2% to 10%. It's going to take faith, but he says, test me now. I like the word now. Not when our tax statement comes in April. He says, test me now. Not after you're done with Christmas shopping. Test me now. Test me now, says the Lord of hosts. Here's the promise. Here it is. It's so good. So good. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you so great a blessing until there is no more room for you to receive it. It's not a bait and switch. It's the promises of God. You can have money without God. There are a lot of evil people, rich folks. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in prosperity. They don't believe in anything, but they've got money. See, God is not making a trade with us. He's not cutting a deal with us. No, he's saying... What I'm going to give you is a blessing. A blessing. Now, what is a blessing? That's a great question. Let's read verse 11. Verse 11 goes on to say, Then I will rebuke the devourer. I will protect, I will rebuke the devourer, insects, plagues for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruits of the ground. The devourer will not get to your fruits. You will be protected, nor will the vine of in the field drop its grapes before harvest, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Stuff that you're trying to take care of for you, stuff that you're actually trying to take care of for you, I'll take care of it for you. I've lived this personally, so I say this with passion, not at you, but with you. You won't have to take care of it for you. I will take care of it for you. You know what a blessing is? A blessing is when God steps in. A a blessing is when God steps in and starts taking care of our stuff, starts taking care of our family, starts taking care of our children. What you've been trying to take care of but have not been able to take care of it yourself, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. And some of us never have a testimony because some of us don't know what it is for God to step in to your situation. And some of us in here today do know what it's like to have God step into our situation. The journey to generosity. From the root to the fruit. Uh, band, please come on back up. And you guys stand with me as we close. Now, do me a favor. Grab the money that you were given on your way in. Okay, we were supposed to do communion this week, folks. So grab your money. Band, come on up. We were supposed to do communion today. You bring the house lights down just, just, a, just a little bit. I'm still going to need the, the, uh, um, the screens. But I felt that before we take communion, we needed to create a space. We needed to create a space to have an opportunity to confess and maybe honestly clean some things up first. So we'll be, do, we'll be actually doing communion next week, guys. Now that one bill, I want you to look at it for a minute. No, how, no matter how much it is or no, how mu- no matter how much it isn't, and there were ones, fives, tens, twenties, fifties, and a couple of hundreds in there. It represents your starting point point. And, and I think it, it makes it so much easier to start testing God now not tomorrow like Malachi 3 said test me now and I'm echoing Paul's statement in Philippians 4 the reason that I'm talking to you guys this morning it took courage for me to come and speak this just so you know it took a lot of courage for me to live it as well But hear me on this. It is not because God needs your money, it's because I want you to fully get what God wants to give you. I want you to start your journey today toward generosity now. And so I'm gonna tell you guys, I personally decided to take money from my savings account, over $2,500, so that wasn't on the church card, in hopes that this risky, illustration would be the starting point to fully getting all that god wants to give you and i know it's hard i said in the beginning i knew it was going to be hard god when i'm scared remind me to trust you now the money in your hand also represents your situation this morning for some of you, as you look at the money in your hand, the situation is, according to God, we have a curse on our resources. We're struggling to live from one week to the next. We may be out of a job. We may need a new job or be struggling to make ends meet. The money in our hands represents long hours, extended hours, a lack of time with our kids and and many other serious situations, and I get that. Because if we're completely honest, we have been robbing God in our ties, And that's the root of the curse. Thirdly, the money in our hands represents your seed. And we said earlier, what a wise farmer does, first, he doesn't eat his seed. And secondly, if he's serious about need, He's serious about seed. If there is no sowing, there is no reaping. And then finally, in your hand represents your surrender. No matter what denomination it is, if it's a 1, a 5, a 10, a 20, a 50, or a 100, I did this intentionally. Because this is life. Life. Some have more, some have less. And where more is given, more is expected. It's just as hard for those who have more to give more as it is for those who have less. I've personally been on both extremes. Because what we do with little will do with much. There's no way around it. A heart that fully trusts God has to be able to diffuse the power of money by surrendering our hearts to God. In 2 Corinthians 8, it said that they were exuberant about giving, but it also said they first gave themselves completely to God. And if that's you this morning, and you know you need to surrender your life or resurrender your life to God, this moment is for you as well. Now is the time for some of you who have have been faithful faithful in your tithe, faithful in your offering God might be letting you know this this morning, I'm not done with you yet your journey to generosity is not finished I want to take you to another level of generous no matter where you're at if we're honest, it's the area that's hardest to trust God even though on every bill every bill in this room it reminds us to trust God In God we trust. It's gonna take a miracle to disconnect some of our hearts this morning from the bills in our hands. And it's going to take surrender, full surrender. We've placed soil in each of the three stations. One station there, one station in the middle, one station off to the right. Daniel just happened when he went and got my soil for me yesterday happened to get unintentionally he got miracle grow okay i believe that's just part of god's humor i believe it's god's fingerprint on this moment so as we play this last song i want to say the altar is open the altar is open And when you drop it in, whether it be into this in the middle or off to the sides, I want you to look at the soil and know that is your seed. I strongly encourage you this morning to to surrender all that you have in your hands. Hear me on this, because it is all God's anyway.